Hey legends, welcome back to another episode on the Deals Journey podcast. I'm so stoked you're back for another episode and today we have a very special guest by the name of Michael Crossland. Now he's an amazing international speaker and he's got so many great valuable stories to share about his past and how lucky you really are to be living wherever you are and have the access to this podcast. You most likely have a phone and it will just break you, basically bring you back down to earth and realize how good you have got it. And Michael speaks about how he's faced death probably 10 times, even more with tumors, with cancers, with everything ever since I think 11 months into coming into the world, he's faced challenge after challenge and his, his two main words are resilience and hope and I love that and you can see it in the way he speaks, he speaks with such love and it's absolutely beautiful and I had the privilege of podcasting him and he told me he gets a couple of podcasts a day so you guys are, and he doesn't usually do them so um, you guys are super lucky to be getting this and I'm so grateful that I had the opportunity to connect with him and do this podcast because it's an absolute epic one and I know that it's going to benefit you guys. So here it is. Enjoy. You. Well, Michael, thanks for jumping on today. Pleasure. Uh, absolute pleasure having you on. And Thank you. Excited to share your story to a lot of the youth out there and I'm sure they'll be inspired. Awesome, mate. Can't wait. <clears throat> Sorry, the voice is a bit croaky. Um, so a way that I like to start the podcast is by asking you, what's the weirdest thing that you do on the daily that you don't know if everyone else does? The weirdest thing I do on the daily? Yeah. Far out. I've never really thought of that. Yeah, um, uh, it makes you think. Yeah, I probably try not to play on my phone whilst on the toilet. That's yeah, probably okay. a weird thing that no yeah. one does. Everybody plays yeah. with their phone on the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I've never been asked that. Um, the weirdest thing that I do on the daily yeah. Um, I meditate before bed. You meditate before bed? Yeah, usually yeah, okay. people meditate first up, but I yeah. try and meditate before bed to so the reverse slow the opposite. brain down. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. I don't know. Yeah. That's something. Yeah, definitely. There's there's a whole wide range of things. And, you know, it's funny how, like, you think one thing can be weird, but, yeah. you know, it's normal for you. So, it night is. meditation. Yeah, I couldn't say I do that. So, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird one. It would have been weird if you said you did it. Then yeah. it would be really uncomfortable. Yeah, then it would just be like, oh, it's not a normal thing. But, oh, well. Um, mate, so let's take a step back. What about your youth? I know it's a, it's a super interesting one. And uh, mm. I remember when I first heard you speak, it would have been about four weeks ago. I was definitely taken back and made me think like, what, um, what is my excuse? So, um, could you take us a little bit, bit of a step back to maybe when you first, you know, came to earth? And yeah, I uh, was born in 1984. Mm -hmm. um, pretty normal for the first 11 months of my life. A lot of eating, a lot of crying. Yeah. Uh, three older sisters, and then. When I was 11 months old, I went to the doctors with my mum and my sister. My sister had an ear infection. Mm -hmm. And uh, as you know, I'm a hugger, not really much of a handshaker. Yeah. So I give the doctor a big hug as I'm leaving the room, um, just starting to walk. And his knee brushes my stomach and he thinks that doesn't feel right. I'm taken to Coffs Harbour Hospital. That night I'm airlifted to Sydney Hospital. And the following morning I was diagnosed with an incurable cancer of the central nervous system called neuroblastoma stage 4. Uh, doctor said no chance of survival take your little boy home and allow him to live the next few months with his family 
But like everybody listening, and as you know, um, we all have choices. Mm. And the choices that we make each and every day can help reshape, remold, and redefine our future. And my mum asked one simple question, and that was, I don't want to know what the chances are of my son dying is. I want to know what the chances are of my son surviving. Um, The doctor said I had a 96% death rate. Go home. Enjoy the next few months with the family. And I'm just so grateful every day that... My mum chose to look at my life not being 96% empty, but she chose to look at my life being 4% full, you know? And Mm. I think about everybody, wherever you are in your life listening to this, how often do we look at the glass being half empty as opposed to half full? Yeah. And without her, you know, courage and her strength, then obviously I wouldn't be here. Uh, I started chemo on my first birthday. My chemo cycle was nine days on, three days off for years until... One day they said the tumor had built a resistance. It had now taken over half of my body. I needed to go into surgery. I went into surgery just before my fourth birthday. Um, The doctors came out six hours later and said to my mum that they didn't get it all and there was nothing they could do. Um, My family were flown from Coffs Harbour down to Sydney to say goodbye. Um, But fortunately enough, there was an American doctor the next day that came into our room. He was trying a test drug on um, 25 terminally ill patients, all had to be a certain age. And I fell into that category and my mum asked, um, well, the doctor asked my mum whether we wanted to be on that trial drug. And we really believe that um, outside of love, hope is one of the most powerful words in the English dictionary. Mm. If we can instill hope into somebody's life, we can instill courage, determination, um, resilience. And I think that the greatest thing about the word hope is that you don't need to be rich or powerful. You don't need to be old. You don't need to be a CEO. You can be a 15, 16, 17-year-old kid just mm. starting to try and work out where this world, where this life is going to take you and have the same ability to be able to instill hope into somebody's life. And uh, we started that drug uh, with 24 other families. Sadly, within a very short period of time, uh, 24 out of the 25 kids died. Uh, the after effects of the drug were horrific. We were burnt from head to toe. We were covered in blisters. They used to lay us in baths full of ice trying to prevent our brains from frying. And um, I say, Dylan, to people around the world that I'm one of the lucky ones, and it's, and it's not because I'm still alive. Um, it's because I wasn't my mum. You know, I think mm. how a woman or a man would have to make a choice to inject a drug into their child that has killed every person ever taken it um, is something that I hope I never have to comprehend. Mm. Um, She would go to death counselling once a week for two hours to deal with what was going to happen to a little boy. And she she never quit. And um, here I am, still still fighting every day with many, many ongoing challenges, as you know, which I'm sure we'll share throughout the day. But... Mm -hmm. um, I'm just so grateful that she never quit on me. And um, when we were finally allowed to go home, the doctor went outside the room with my mum and said, uh, your son, uh, he will never go to school. He will never play sport. He'll be a housebound baby. And if he reaches his teenage years, it'll be a miracle. And my mum come through the curtains and I made out I didn't hear what the doctor said. And I said, what did the doctor say? And she said, uh, the doctors told me that everything was going to be okay. And I think that as a parent, what courage and resilience and a heart filled with hope that a mother must have to carry the burden and the fear of her son dying because she wanted me to lead a normal life. She's a remarkable woman and I'm very grateful that I'm still here to be able to 
share my story and inspire people to look at life a little differently to uh, realize how lucky they are to have what they have. Mm. Yeah, that was goosebumps. <laughs> she sounds like an amazing woman. And um, I remember when I first heard that, I was like captivated. I couldn't believe it. And I guess your resilience and your mom, like basically just saying, I'm not going to take what the doctors said. I'm going to, the hope that I can give. And I think that's a big word, hope, mm. um, to, you know, keep going forward and just pursuing whatever you want to pursue so yeah and i um, think it's the hard times throughout our yeah. life that actually give us the ability to a reflect on the past and think geez you know we've had it tough but we we can actually look at life a lot differently mm. um you know for me i think that there are two types of people there are those that use their pain and suffering as the justification behind why they choose to fail in life and there are those that use the exact same pain and suffering and sometimes a lot worse as the motivation to succeed. You know, I, I know you know my dream was to play baseball in America. Yep. I wanted to go to school. My time at school was horrible. You know, I got picked on every day. I, I really believe that some days my time at school was worse than my days in hospital because yeah, wow. I never got picked on at hospital, right? Mm. And playing the game that I loved, I really wanted to make that dream come true. I, I knew that I needed to be the guy that did 10% extra that fell into the 1% category that gets a chance to achieve their dreams. And mm. lots of battles along the way. I had my first heart attack when I was 12, was told I'd never play sport again. And again, my mum come through the door and said, hey, you know, the doctors told me that everything was going to be okay. You know, and, and as you know, two and a half years later, I got on a plane, I flew to the other side of the world, I got a chance to play the game that I loved. I moved over there at 17, went to college, and you know, it was, uh, it's amazing that no one in your life is ever gonna tell you what you can do, they'll only ever tell you what you can't do. Yeah, isn't that funny? You know, and it's your choice whether you choose to listen, right? Mm, yeah, so there must have been like, obviously your mum instilling that, but you must have had this like deep desire to just wanna have like be great in whatever you're doing, I guess. and. Did that like? Did you have that like yeah, that nature to just want to be the best? And yeah, I think I certainly had the burning desire to make my yeah. dreams come true. But I think that there are a lot of people in the world that work really hard every day to prove other people wrong mm. because they've been told all their life that they're never going to amount to anything. And I think that that's the wrong approach to trying to be the best version of yourself because yeah. when you ultimately get to that destination where you've achieved your dreams you've actually achieved it for the wrong reason you've achieved it to prove someone else wrong yeah. whereas for me i've been all about my entire life not working hard to show other people up or proving them wrong but mm. i've been working really hard my entire life to prove myself right yeah you know you set that dream that goal that vision you start to visualize it you manifest it and mm. then you prove yourself right and I think that's a really different way of looking at why behind your goals and dreams. 100%. So you briefly spoke about your trip to America. So can you tell a little, a little bit more about um, your burning desire to get over there and what sport it was and um, yeah, what the experience was like? Yeah, it was amazing. As a little boy in hospital, I used to get the doctors to put the needle in my head. Yeah. So I had two hands to play catch. I used mm -hmm. to watch um, baseball on TV, and that was my big dream of playing mm -hmm. ball in the States. I uh, got that chance. Um, playing over there was the most amazing experience of my life, to play in front of so many people, mm -hmm. to do something that they live and breathe and dream about every single day is, is amazing. But I think that what is really, really important is we understand the why behind what we're doing. And uh, same with me right now, understanding why you were just wandering over to the camera. <laughs> but um, 
I, I really understood that that was that was something that was so important to me. My family sacrificed so much to allow me to live that dream of playing over there. Um, but as you all know, I think often in life we wait until it's too late before we decide to change. Mm. Um, and we don't appreciate things until they're gone. Yeah. You know, and so often... Isn't that funny? Yeah, you know, and sometimes the greatest gift that we can actually have is learning from a loss instead of gaining from a win, Mm. you know, and uh, we wait until we're diagnosed with lung cancer before we stop smoking. Yeah. You know, we wait until we lose someone that we love before we tell them that we love them. Mm. I was very, very unwell over there. I was, I never told my coach that I was sick. I never wanted to be treated any differently. Mm. And uh, I was only over there for six months and my heart, couldn't cope my health deteriorated financially we couldn't afford to be there and i was sent back to australia um never played baseball again uh, at that level i got a chance to get into the corporate world did a tv show on australian stories worked my way up into the corporate world 600 staff 120 banks at a very young age at, at 23 and i was driven by the three p's that ultimately destroy people and they were power privileges and possessions and i think that if your burning desire to achieve your dreams or obtain your goals mm. is to buy a multi-million dollar house and drive around $100,000 sports cars and wear Armani suits, then you may get to that stage in your life, but the one thing that we'll be missing is the one thing that we ultimately should strive for every day, and that's happiness. Mm. And it took me down a really deep, dark, horrible, lonely path, and I had to hit rock bottom before I decided to turn my life around and, and take it to where it is now. Yeah, isn't that isn't that bizarre? Like you have to hit rock bottom, or something like catastrophic has to happen for you to almost like wake up and be like, hey, reevaluate like what I'm doing in my life and mm-hmm. start to get really real with yourself. I think that's another thing is like sometimes you can be living an identity of like people pleasing or being someone that you're actually not your true self. Like mm. I know when I I spent six months in America as well playing water polo. And, didn't work out for me as well and I had my whole life mapped out I thought I had the next 10 years of my life planned out and when that happened like it was almost like well what do I do now and then you got to like reevaluate and then figure out oh yeah okay I'll just you know figure out a bit more about myself I Mm -hmm. I realized I did no work on myself I think you know when you're speaking about how you know 23 got all these employees um it, it almost got to a stage where you're like, what, what am I doing this for? Mm-hmm. Was that what it was like? You're making no all this money, yep. but it wasn't filling up my heart or it wasn't, you know, I wasn't excited on a Monday to get up and go and change the world. I was just putting dollars in my bank account. Yeah, yeah it was certainly a stepping stone to somewhere, mm. not knowing where. Yeah, And, you know, it's amazing as a young 17, 18 year old, you feel as though you need to know what your next 10 years looks like. Yeah. But, you know, I <laughs> was 23 and from the outside looking in, people thought I had this amazing dream job with incredible career and heights of no end. But I was so lost, so alone and knew that that wasn't for me. And, yeah. you know, as we spoke about earlier, I, I had to hit rock bottom. And sadly, a lot of people wait until they hit rock bottom before mm. they decide to change. You know, I, I drove around a $100,000 sports car that I couldn't afford. I lived in a house that the bank owned and, yeah. you know, I was driven by ego and arrogance and, you know, I, I, I just think that we get so blinded by the thoughts of 
needing the materialistic possessions that we can gain. And I think that when we really get stripped back to the raw human soul and the, and the identity of who we are, it's it's not about our big houses. It's really about our bigger heart is, and it's mm. about getting out of bed and serving other people every day and making a positive impact in their lives that then all of a sudden the fruit starts to blossom on our tree as well yeah it's amazing the universe rewards people who are just giving back naturally and Mm. who want to see other people succeed i think the big transition for me was when i wanted to see other people win Mm -hmm. you know when you you come from that school environment you're usually in like a state where hey i want to help you but secretly if you get a better op score you might get into the university that i want to go to and it's like that subtle like you know if it comes to it like i want to get that better grade than you and i guess in the if you take that out into the real world then it's just like having that fear mentality instead of having an abundance mindset where Mm -hmm. everything can just come in naturally and you can give as much as you want to like receive i guess yeah a competitive outlook i think is is fine you know we, yeah. we want to compete and that oh, makes us 100%. strive strive harder but i think that one thing that i've learned is it's un-australian to support other people's success yeah. which is unbelievable right yeah, yeah, like yeah. i've done a lot of different stuff on tv overseas and here in australia and um recently i was on mtv as you know ridiculous yeah. and that's a funny show and i walked down the street in america and everyone's like oh you're the guy you were all oh, that was so much fun congrats high five let's get a photo i walked down my hometown after being on the show and they're like oh mr big shot mr mtv too cool to talk to us i haven't changed a bit i'm yeah. the same person that i was before yeah. and after it was just a really great opportunity and i mm. loved my experience but you know i think that when we when we understand our why and, mm. and we really want to, we really want to start to give without remembering and receive without forgetting. Yeah, I think that's when our whole world starts to manifest. Our abundance mm. starts to flow in. Yeah. the light starts to shine on us, and we start to really be the best version of ourselves. A hundred percent. So you're twenty three, twenty four. What was the next step after that? I understand, like you got into the humanitarian field. You were going over to was it Cuba? Haiti, yeah, yeah, Haiti, yeah. Haiti. Yeah, it was a big transition. I I got very unwell again. I got bacterial yeah. meningitis. I got fluid on the brain. I had Bell's palsy down the right hand side of my body. And uh, Dylan, I, you know, as as tough as it is to admit to camera, I, yeah. I'd I'd given up. Yeah, I didn't want to fight anymore. I was as low as I'd ever been. And uh, I, I just didn't, I didn't want to get out of bed. And I remember my wife, she would come in every day into hospital and she would say, I love you and I'd see you in the morning. And I'd wait for her just to walk out the door and I'd say, I love you and goodbye. Because every night I'd just pray to God that I wouldn't wake up. Mm-hmm. And it, it's sad to think that where I am now, there's been a state of mind in my life where I just didn't see tomorrow and I didn't want to see tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was like the metaphor of being in a well and like you're paddling in a water, in a well, right? Mm. And you're just trying to keep your head above water and there's a ladder right there and all you need to do is grab the ladder and climb out. And you've got all these people that think they know who you are and they think they know your story and they think they've walked in your shoes and they just yell at you saying, hey, it's easy, grab the ladder and climb out. But they've never walked in your shoes or mine. They don't know your pain or mm. mine. And I just quit and I sunk to the bottom of the well and I realized when I got to the bottom of the well that the water was only this deep. Yeah. I realized in the darkest space and state of mind that I'd ever been in, I could still breathe. Mm. And whilst ever we can breathe, we can get clarity, we can get purpose and we can really start to redefine what life is for us 
and and begin to master the things that we perceive are important. And the two things that I needed to master was I needed to master what success was and I needed to master what giving was. And now I understand that success is about getting out of bed and striving to make a difference in somebody else's life. That's mm -hmm. it. You know, you can be poor and broke and still be successful because you're serving other people. <clears throat> and the other one is is giving. And for me, I always thought the saying was the more you give, the more you shall receive. But the saying should be the more you give expecting nothing in return, the more you shall receive. Mm. And it's not about the materialistic possessions that we give, but it's about the passion and the purpose in why we actually give it that truly determines the outcome of our giving. And that's when I transitioned into the, out of the corporate world. I walked away from a, you know, a big career, as some would say, and um, I followed my dreams of making a global impact. And mm -hmm. people laughed at me, told me I was silly. And I love when people tell me what I can't do. And uh, I aligned myself with a lot of different charities and then I was really disappointed that so many of them took so much. Yeah, that's what I found too. You know, 40, $45 out of every $50 donated to providing drinking water to a boy or girl overseas was getting chewed up in admin fees and mm. I was just appalled. So I walked away from that space and I thought, what can I do? So we started our own charity, mm -hmm. Frontier Projects. Every cent gets sent. We went over, we built an orphanage and a school <clears throat> in Haiti. Uh, Haiti is where an earthquake hit 2010, killed 316,000 people, left 2.5 million people homeless. Uh, it's the most horrific, heartbreaking place that I've ever experienced in my life. And I would not wish on my worst enemy for them to either be brought up in that environment or live in that environment environment, or even visit that environment because it is uh, unbelievably heavy. You know, mm. We built a school where we did because we found out that there were young girls being raped every afternoon on their way home because they had to walk three hours of a morning and three hours of an afternoon to get an education. And we get disappointed because it's raining and we don't want to get wet to get on the bus. You know, and I think that perspective is such a powerful thing when we shift our mindset, when we shift our outlook then we begin to overcome what our first world problems are and we begin to start to achieve some really remarkable things. And then the orphanage, that was, that was a game changer for me. You know, mm. we, were, we were told we'd never be able to have kids um, and we opened an orphanage. We got 41 beautiful little babies over there. Um, it, 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 it really changed our life and changed our world and they have given me far more than I could ever give them. They have taught me far more than I could ever teach them. And I am better because they are in my life, not because I'm in theirs. Mm. I think you said it really well there, like as in, I guess in Australia, we're brought up where we've got all these things given to us. But when we go to another like nation, um, you you get a different perspective of it and like you were saying how these girls are going to school and they're getting raped on their way to school and we're complaining about traffic for a 30 minute or 20 minute drive to school and it just makes you think like wow like there's so much to be grateful especially living here mm -hmm. and what advice would you give to some young people out there i guess who you know have in their little circle maybe and they haven't seen much of the world. Like, what do you reckon if some like lost kid, let's say 18, 19, would you recommend him to travel to like third world, uh, third world countries that you know necessarily don't have a lot of wealth to gain a better perspective? Mm. I think for me, as a in the working world or in the career space, mm. um, I think the three P's that destroy us are power, privileges, and possessions. Yeah, I think the three P's that can define us 
and allow us to become the best version of ourselves are patience, persistence, and perspective. Mm. And I think that as a 17, 18 year old, 30 year old, 60 year old, if they're the three behaviors that we can demonstrate on a daily basis, we can be patient with the world that we are facing. We can be persistent with our dreams and our goals and our visions, and we can constantly instill perspective in our hearts. And I think that that's when the transformation begins from the inside out. And I think mm. that once we create a beautiful heart that's filled with kindness and gratitude, then I think that demonstrates in our behaviors and our actions and then our outcomes. Yeah, okay. And do you do that on your daily routine? Like, do you practice gratitude every day or... Yeah, absolutely. You have a certain morning routine? Yeah, so even though you said earlier, what's the weirdest thing you do, which is <laughs> meditate of a night time, I meditate every morning too. And yeah. um, so my routine is um, activation, meditation, appreciation. Okay. So the first thing I need to do is get active. I need to get the heart flowing. I need to get the endorphins going. Yep. So I'll go for a run or do some push-ups or sit-ups, star jumps, whatever it is. That's why. I, I try and do that before I go on stage as well because that yeah, okay. really gets the adrenaline going. Yeah, yeah. And the second the one... Popping. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then the second one is uh, meditation. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, it's really... Uh, I really like the pranayama practice. I've only got one lung that works effectively from all the drugs as a baby. Right. So I it allows me to stretch my lung capacity. It, it grows that ability um, which I really really enjoy and it brings great peace to me mm -hmm. um, and throughout that meditation I talk about um, the three things that I'm truly grateful for uh, the, um, the, the three um, things that I'm excited about mm -hmm. and how I'm going to approach today what's my you know what's my I guess how am I going to show up how am I going to be seen yeah. um, they're the three things that I think about a lot um, in that meditation space and then I try and just write down three things that I'm truly grateful for that happened yesterday mm -hmm. um, which allows me to focus on the three things that I'm going to be grateful for that happened today Amazing. so that's sort of how I kick, kick my day into yeah. uh, into gear and get going that's right yeah it, it's powerful I reckon because I I do the exact same I go for a morning run and then I'll usually do some meditation after I chuck a little naked swim in there because it gets yeah. the adrenaline going yeah. and I love adrenaline yeah um but I think there's a power in like having that high energy state and then bringing you back down to like you're saying meditating and then journaling or mm. practicing gratitude because absolutely it, it almost um makes you focus on what really matters mm. i thought for a long time that you had to live in byron bay um <laughs> you had to have long crazy hair yeah, yeah, yeah. you had to grow a beard and wear cotton and burn incense to yeah. uh to meditate and now I think we're ticking all the boxes yeah, yeah there you go <laughs> but then um you know traveling the world working with you know some of the highest paid professional athletes some of these guys are getting 30 million bucks a year mm. working with senior execs and ceos of you know of big five companies um that's the one thing they all have in common they all meditate they all meditate and and they all have a routine and they all make sure that they have that structured daily routine mm. and they fill their hearts and minds with gratitude every day and it's not rocket science. This stuff is basic and very, very easy to implement, and that's mm. why it works. Mm. You know, if it was too hard, then it wouldn't. It wouldn't work. And I think that it's so easy. Why don't people do it? And I think it's because they're not at that state yet where they actually want to better their lives. And if mm. if you're not happy where you are and what you're doing and what you're achieving and what you're all about, then 
now's the time to make the transition. Don't wait until you're 40 years old, 50 years old, 80 years old and, and look back on your life with regret. Make the transition now, the transformation now. And then this time next year, you can say, far out, look how much I've grown and become a, a better version of myself just because I'm implementing a daily routine with great structure and discipline so that I can you know, achieve some really powerful things that maybe many people thought were impossible. Mm. And why do you think that's like not taught in schools, like mindfulness, like gratitude, meditation? Like, why is it not in the school system? <laughs> I think that the education space needs to have a really big reflection moment. Yeah. And uh, if they don't evolve, if they don't adapt and they don't embrace change, then the education space is going to deteriorate rapidly. Mm. You reflect on some of the biggest companies in the world who didn't evolve, who didn't adapt, and who didn't embrace change, and now they're bankrupt, the doors are closed. And if we do that with the education space, the impact is not just going to be on the 3,000 employees, but it's going to be on millions of people around the world who are our children, that are our future generation, that desperately long to be taught something that mm. is going to be relevant in today's society. Yeah. So these are the things that are going to assist greatly in some of the greatest challenges that we have on earth, like depression. Mm. You know, this year alone, there were twice as many deaths from suicide as there was in car crashes. Yet we spend billions of dollars every year fixing roads and we spend less than 5% of that expense on trying to get our mindset right from the ground up, mm. which is, it needs to be highlighted and invested in. And, and I think that it's important with people watching this don't wait until the universities or the schools change and focus on mindset and mindfulness mm. and gratitude and kindness. Make that a part of your own daily discipline. So you start your day and set your day up with success from the beginning and then push through whatever it might be that you have to learn at school, but you learn it in a state of, of calmness and, and, and appreciation and gratitude as opposed to resentment and anger, mm. which can really transform you know, how, we, how we do what we do. Yeah, you can go tenfold, you can grow yeah. so much yeah, yeah, yeah. just in practicing those little things. I yeah. think it's it's super powerful. Mm. And yeah, you touched on mental health there. I think it's a it's a big problem. Like mm. with a lot of young men, mm -hmm. especially like I've had mates who have suffered from depression, bedridden. And I'm like, mate, like we're eighteen, like, you know, this was last year, eighteen and um like you had the prime of your life. Like you should be full of energy, full of life and I think it's like, it's got a lot to do with the iPhones, like social media, like mm -hmm. giving up these fake, I guess, perceptions of how quick it is to get success. Like, I know that's a huge, huge um, issue, like with a lot of my mates and a lot, of, a lot of my friends that I see is like, they see these people who are becoming millionaires at, you know, 22, 23, and they think like, why can't I get that like mm -hmm. right now? It's that instant gratification, that instant, you know, feedback. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, oh, well, I'm worthless. I mean nothing. And then, you know, next thing you know, they're, they're in depression or they're mm -hmm. in this sad state. And it's just like, I think if we can, you know, focus on what we've got and what we really do have, which is so much compared to other parts of the world, I think um, there definitely should be a bit of a shake up in that, in that mindfulness space and mm -hmm. um, showing people that, hey, it's, 
it's part of the journey. Like that's why I try and get across. Like it's, it's not going to be easy. Yeah, you know? I think you've touched on a great point. And for me, there's two two reflections on that yeah. comment. And that is, the first one is we compare our day to day normal lives with other people's highlight reels. <laughs> we do it all the time. Yeah. You know, you you follow me on social media and you will see the big crowds and the fancy hotels and sitting in mm. fancy cars and whatever it might be but you don't see the lonely nights in hotels away from my family. Mm. You know, the the really raw moments. Yeah, the real emotional stuff that that we that we miss out on and and um, you know, I I am meant to be Mr. Positive and Mr. Optimistic, but I got to I have really dark days still. Yeah. You know, and and it's okay. Mm. It's normal. But yeah. what we need to understand is that it's okay to feel bad. It's not okay to stay in that state of mind. And mm. for me, I, I just have three steps, move, share, and help to get my mind back to where it needs to be. So it's activate, get going, right? And mm. then share, communicate with a friend, a peer, a colleague, counselor, and then go out and find someone you can help that can never return the favor. I think that there are three easy like steps that. that can shift so much. But the second thing that I think is really important, you spoke about iPhones and social media, is it is critical that on a weekly basis, we digital detox. It's... It's so critical that we can just disconnect from the universe, from social media, from the world, just for whatever you can do. Whether it's 12 hours, 24 hours, two days, do something. Try it one weekend where you just let your crew know, let your social media know, hey, I'm digital detoxing this weekend. Can't wait to invest in me, mm. you know, and, and allow myself to have that weekend free of not needing to scroll, not needing to check in, not needing to put posts up to just allow ourselves to, to you know, recharge. You know, I, I think so many of us feel that by having seven, eight, nine hours sleep every night, that's going to recharge our bodies. But basically for us to switch off and sleep is like us turning our phone off. If we turn our phone off of a night time, we turn it back on in the morning, it hasn't recharged. Mm. That's what we do. We turn ourselves off of a night time for seven, eight hours, but it hasn't recharged us. It just allows us to exist. For us to recharge, we need to identify what it is that allows us to recharge. Mm. For me, it's meditation. You know, people say meditation is unplugging. For me, meditation is plugging in. It allows me to recharge my soul, my mind, my spirit, you know, who I am as a human being. That's my recharge. So I yeah. think that if you're 17, 18, 19, wherever you are in your world, in your life, identify what it is that allows you to recharge your system. Yeah. And, and really make sure that that's a really big focus point for you. You know, I love when people say, oh, you've changed. Yeah, I have changed. You're supposed to change. I have changed. I've changed. And the reason why I've changed is because I get rid of the negative people out of my life that suck the world out of me. I mm. focus on investing in myself so that I can be a great person and a great human being to serve more people. So thank you for noticing that I've changed. Mm. That's a great compliment. And you want people to say that to you. How come you're not out on a Friday, Saturday night getting plastered anymore? Mm. Well, I've changed. Yeah. I've changed for the better and I'm going to serve more people because of it. Mm. You know. And as you know, my... My world changed so much a few years ago. I was diagnosed again in 2016. They found four tumors in my throat. Mm. They told me my tomorrows weren't guaranteed. And I remember saying very clearly to the doctors, that's one thing that we all have in common. Because no one's guaranteed tomorrow. No. You know, don't wait until you get given an end date before you decide to review what's important and prioritize what's important in your life. 
I had surgery, got rid of three out of the four tumors. The fourth tumor is still stuck um, around my vocal cord. But I understand that the quality of one's life is not dictated, nor is it determined by the amount of days that we live. But it's what we fit into those days that allows us to live a remarkable life. And I reflect on my world, you know, a couple of the greatest things that have happened in my life is uh, in 2016, I got a chance to put a pink ribbon on a new door to a new home for my mum. Mm. You know, giving back to that one woman was without a doubt one of the greatest days. And to be understanding in my, in my heart, in my roots, yeah. that it is far greater to give than to receive. Mm. It was amazing. And then the second thing was, um, you know, I was told all my life that I'd never be able to be a parent. And, and I think that to be a dad or a mom is... Um, at the right age, he's one of the greatest. He's yeah. one of the greatest gifts uh, that God can bestow on any of us. And um, and they said that that was never going to happen. We tried to bring kids over from our orphanage. We couldn't yeah, do that, which yeah. was heavy. And then in 2017, we announced to the world that we're having a little baby. And um, amazing. That's that's been the worst pain that I've ever felt. You know, mm-hmm. we were we were meant to have a baby end of February 2018. Um, at 29 weeks, my wife went into labor. Uh, we had a beautiful little boy named Lachlan James who weighed two pound. Uh, he was very, very unwell and we were in intensive care unit level three down in Sydney. And after four weeks, things were going great. He was getting healthier. They flew us back to the Coffs Harbour Hospital. And then the next day they told us that they believed he'd contracted an illness called sepsis, um, a blood disease. They told us we had four days with him and I remember, I remember praying in the plane, flying back to Sydney, as the doctor was resuscitating a little boy, just saying, take my house, take every dollar that I have, just don't take our little boy. And I think that it is so important that we prioritize what's important now, while we have this amazing gift and blessing and privilege to enjoy it whilst it's still here. Mm. You know, you, wherever you are in your life, you know, you need to get out of bed every single day and do something that your future self will be proud of. Mm. I think that's the key. And, and I think it's so important that we understand that through darkness, that is our discovery moment. We, we do not discover how unfair our life is, but rather we discover how powerful we have been created. Mm. Yeah, I live by that quote, um, do something today that your tomorrow self will thank. Mm. So at the end of every podcast, I'll like record an outro and that's the exact quote I say because if you do something little every single day, it stacks up. It's like planting little seeds and eventually they'll harvest. It's like <clears throat> one of my mentors told me, he's like, it, this is a classic example of a bamboo tree. Like um, with the first like three, four years, like you're just planting seeds. No one can see it. It's not above ground. It's all just like stemming roots everywhere, everywhere. And then, you know, on the fifth year, it starts growing. And then sixth, seventh, it exponentially grows. It just like turns Explodes. into this, you know, huge thing. And I think that's a beautiful metaphor of like business and um, I guess relationships and all other aspects of life. Like there's going to be a lot of underground work that no one's probably going to see. No one's going to see like, what are you doing? Like all this kind of success, but eventually it will, it will pop up. And I think that's like, you know, beautiful little metaphor. Of, Powerful. Yeah. And we, we, we need to make sure that we don't ever forget to continue to water our seeds. Mm. People say to me, oh, geez, you, you've come out of nowhere. 
you know, this year I spoke in front of over 200,000 people. I've shared yeah. a stage with Tony Robbins, the Dalai Lama, Richard Branson. It, amazing. I'm so humble and so grateful and still very grounded. But it's been working on my craft for years and years yeah. and years and years to be an overnight success. <laughs> you know? and, and I think that's so important as a teenager or a young entrepreneur that we understand that. We, we might be just that one phone call away, mm. that one interview, that one podcast, podcast yeah. that just exponentially sees massive growth that allows us to have an even greater impact on more people's lives mm. because of our passion to serve others. Yeah, 100%. I think the biggest like, question that I first asked myself that really set me on this like, journey to wanting to help others is like, what, what mission are you on? Like, what, what's your mission? You know, like, what do you want to create? And mm. for me, it's to help more people than I can ever meet. So, yeah, so it's cool. like, I don't know how I'm going to do that, but I think if you can, you know, um, be, you know, pretty much what you're doing, like speaking, that's like, you're going to help more people than you can ever physically like, you know, hug or meet. That's right. So yeah. I think it's super powerful and I love what you're doing. Um, and you gave me this beautiful book, kids don't get cancer and um you did the number 24 can you tell us a little bit about that yeah i wrote a book in 2016 when i was diagnosed um mm -hmm. the book obviously is very controversial with the title kids don't get cancer yeah but the reason why it is named that is because when i was a little baby and i was diagnosed my mum said to the doctor no that can't be right kids don't get cancer mm. and then mum told dad dad said the same thing dad told grandfather grandfather said no that can't be right kids don't get cancer and then once I got through all my treatment, my mum said to me, one day you're going to go out in this world and make a difference. And when you've made a difference, you're going to write a book and it's going to be called Kids Don't Get Cancer. Wow. So fast forward until the, till almost when I was having surgery, um, I realized that I needed to put pen to paper because I wanted to leave a legacy that was going to last longer than I would on this earth. Mm -hmm. I wrote the book to try and support my mum and my wife um, long after I was gone. I had surgery, um, but... I'm still here, so now we donate all the profits to charity. We've been able to donate hundreds of thousands of dollars to charity from the wow. sales of the book. It's now a bestseller in six countries around the world, which I'm very proud of. That's amazing. And um, I sign every book with the number 24 because my first jersey number when I started playing baseball was 24. Uh, when I played in the Aussie Expos baseball team, it was number 24. And then uh, in 2010, it was uh, inducted into the International Baseball Redlands Expos Hall of Fame, uh, which means now the number is retired, so it can never be used or worn by anybody else that tours a part of that program. And uh, I was always number 24 because I never played one game by myself. I played for the 24 little kids that didn't make it on that trial drug that I was on as a baby. So I am uh, always had those 24 kids watching out for me. and. That's Hopefully making those kids proud to give me the opportunity to live the life that I have, even mm. though they lost theirs. Yeah, far out. It's just like story after story. Like It's truly amazing. So um, towards the end, of, I have this last segment. It's all things like personal development, like what you do sort of every day to sort of keep you in check and keep you growing to the person that you want to be. Um, <clears throat> so is there like any sort of habits that you would do on a daily basis that sort of put you in check apart from like your morning routine it might be you know 
you you do a certain amount of work and then you have to go move your body or mm-hmm. something like that. Like, what does an average day like look like for you? Because I know it, it, it varies a lot. Yeah, There's probably like it does. 10 little average days you yeah, have. Yeah, it, pa- it packs in because I, like 178 flights last year, spoke in 22 countries. So it was a pretty hectic year. Yeah. So it's very hard to be uh, complacent. Mm-hmm. And it's very important that I'm very structured. However, I'm not the most structured guy in the world. My yeah. wife, very structured, very Excel spreadsheet, very dot, 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 knows exactly what she's doing every day. So I think that it's important to have our goals set in concrete, but the path set in sand. Mm. I like to move around a lot. Like even today, yeah. being flexible with my time to be yeah. able to make sure that we could do this yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. is really important for me. Mm. Um, but yeah, I really want to make sure that I get my setup important uh to get my setup right at the beginning, activation, meditation, appreciation. I think to live a life of abundance, it's really important that we fill our life with gratitude on the little things every day. And that starts with momentum. So it's really important that we we do some little things every day that build momentum to ensure that we can have a powerful day. Mm. Little things like I always make sure that I make my bed. Yeah. I want to make it look good, clean, smooth, fresh, so that when I lie in bed of a night time, I get down, I'm like, man, this feels like I'm at another hotel, but way comfier, because usually my wife's lying next to me, which is amazing, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, I always really want to focus on mindful eating. So if I have yes. to get up earlier to mm. be a mindful eater, then I will. You know, I've got a two-year-old boy that does not like sitting still. Nice. So if Checking I need to food. get up earlier and have my time of mindful eating, then it's really important. And I really want to make sure that what I'm eating excites me every day. So if we're getting up just having boring old wheat bix that we're not enjoying, then find something that is one, going to be nutritious for your body and your soul and your mind, but also something that excites you to serve every morning. So I make my own granola. I must be honest, my wife makes my own granola uh, and it's delicious and it's beautiful and it smells nice. And I put chopped up strawberries and bananas and blueberries and some really fresh, healthy uh, sugar-free yogurt because it just it excites me. It mm. gets me. It gets me going. And then I always try and get through. A lot of people say get through the biggest, worst task you can straight up. But for me, I can't do it that way. <laughs> You'd give up. I, I can't. Like I get halfway through it and it igno- Like I've got no momentum. Ah. So for me, it's about building momentum. So I always try and get a couple of quick wins mm-hmm. um, that I know that I can sort of feel good about myself and then get into the nitty gritty heavy stuff yeah and then finish with a couple of little wins so that's my sort of structure every day really enjoy that mindfulness um eating uh ensure that i make my bed get a couple of wins on the board before i hit the heavy tasks and then finish um and always make sure that i turn my phone off of an afternoon night Mm. so that i can be truly present with my family that is that's a really key component i think that's a really powerful thing presence because I think um, a lot of people, I guess, around my age demographic have lost the word presence because you'll be at a cafe, you'll be, you know, with some friends getting dinner. And it's almost like they don't feel comfortable not having their phone like on the table like this, mm-hmm. waiting for a notification to pop up yep. to see someone else in another like dinner setting or something posting about they're having this beautiful dinner. They highlight room. Yeah, when they're not enjoying the dinner that they're with with these beautiful people. Like I came to that little realization yesterday when I was with some awesome people and um, you know, people next to us, they're just on their phones the whole time. I'm like, how can you like just have that social interaction? And I think there's this guy called Simon the the Shack, I think, the Simon 
He's this big motivational guy, but he speaks about how if your phone is face up like this, you're like 75% in the com, um, 25% in the conversation because you can, you know, notifications pop up. If you feel like that, you're 50% in. If you go in your pocket, you know, you're 75% in the conversation. And then if you just don't even bring it, you're obviously 100% present in the conversation. I think the power of having a present conversation is worth more than anything. Like this mm -hmm. right here, I value this the most. It's, it, it's worth more than anything, I believe. Like having a conversation where you can be 100% present. Mm -hmm. There's no external things going on in your mind. You're just so focused on this. Then amazing things can, you know, talk about. You can talk about. You can go on different tangents mm -hmm. and I think that's really beautiful and if we can recreate that by like just spending maybe one night a week to say you go out with a group of friends let's just bring one phone you know in case an emergency happens yeah and then see the difference in conversations you have you almost like forced to be like okay let's uh let's start chatting about let's something have a relationship new, you know? instead of yeah and yeah. I think that because I tried to start practicing it probably six months ago and you definitely notice you start having better conversations. You start figuring out like who's your crowd, like who do you really have these high energy, engaging chats with, and then I think it just improves a healthier life. Hundred percent. Yeah, I agree with you big time. Mm. So presence, big one. Yeah. Uh, lastly, if you had to give any advice to sort of any, you know, young people out there, what would be some advice you'd give them? I know it's very general, but... Yeah, I think that I touched on it today, but yeah. the advice for me would be don't wait until it's too late before you decide to change. Mm. I think that's the most important piece of advice that is so critical to our development, um, our, our ability to live a life filled with abundance and uh, our ability to live a life filled with gratitude. Mm. You know, when we when we stop comparing ourselves to other people and we start to make changes and invest in us so that we can become the best version of ourselves, I think that all of a sudden this manifestation of, of gratitude and joy and happiness begins to really start to come to the center of our hearts. And um, you know, tomorrow's, tomorrow's not guaranteed for any of us. And the more we begin to understand that we are as old as we have ever been, and as young as we will ever be, mm. then we start to live for the now. And I think that our head must be where our body's at because too often we are so fearful of what might be tomorrow. We're so regretful of what could have been yesterday. We forget to focus on what is right now. So yeah. focus on what is right now, be present, yeah. and uh, don't <laughs> wait until it's too late before you decide to change. Boom, what a way to end the podcast. <laughs> that was awesome. Thanks so much for jumping on, Michael, and I'm sure there's a lot of young people out there who've got something from this and um hopefully taking their life on a different perspective now and you've got an awesome story man keep spreading it around to the world my pleasure awesome. bring it in i'm a hugger <laughs> thank you man Epic. how good was that legends it's hands down one of the most emotional podcasts i've probably ever done i remember when I first saw Michael live, it would have been about two months ago at a success resources event and he was the first one to bring me to tears um, and I'm sure he brought a lot of people to tears at the event and he got a standing ovation and he just has an amazing story to tell and it makes you think, what's my excuse? That's, that's what I keep getting from him, like what's my excuse? <laughs> Um, and he is an absolute soldier and is inspiring so many people, empowering so many people. 
and is doing amazing things. And he's such a genuine bloke too, like off the cusp, we literally did the podcast and he's like, you want to go grab a feed? And I was like, yeah, sure thing. So he took me and he's like, Range Rover. And then next thing you know, we're like, go grabbing a feed. And it was just epic. He's such a really good human. And um, yeah, reach out to him if you've got any questions. I'm sure he's more than happy to answer any. And he's also got this awesome program. Um, I'll chuck a link below and it talks about how he overcame what he did and it'd be great for you guys to uh give it a geese and jump on board so without further ado i'll let you guys go and uh tune in next time to dill's journeys podcast remember do something today tomorrow self will thank you